Hello, it's ASD here, and I was unavailable for this podcast, so Jack Latchford, my right-hand man, stepped up to speak to Stevie Springs CBE, so sit back and enjoy. Hello everyone, this is the Mediacom Connected Podcast. I am Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer here at Mediacom. And uh, hello Jack. Hello everyone, I'm Jack. I'm a Senior Digital Planner here at Mediacom. And joining us today is the amazing Stevie Spring and I'm very excited. And we were discussing just now how to describe you and we ended up on Industry Polymath. Marvellous. You are currently advisor to Bridgepoint Capital. You chair the ITG group for them. You chair Children in Need for the BBC. You're non-exec at the co-op and and chair at at the co-op and Labrooks Coral Group. I'm going to start stumbling over this. You're on the Council of Kent's International University and you are Senior Independent Director of ALCS. You um, have have, lots of jobs. You've had lots of jobs. I've got one of everything. You've been amazing as well in every bit of your career. So you uh, led Clear Channel and Future. Um, You have been uh, audit chair for arts and business. You are a fellow of the IPA, which is not an easy thing to be made a fellow of, and of the Marketing Society. Deep breath. You hold an honorary doctorate of services to business, and quite right too. You were named in GQ magazine as one of the UK's most connected women and uh, you are on the Telegraph de Brett's current list of the Britain's 500 most influential people and we'll talk a little bit about what you did before that because actually it's um, all amazing but rather than me wow. go on and on on I and on really old. about your biog <laughs> you studied law now I was going to be a lawyer I thought you and I might have met had had there been a sliding door moment probably both would have been judges by now probably most probably um but you uh didn't have a practice what what happened change no, your mind I, I it wasn't that i changed my mind and I, I i didn't have any aspirations to be a lawyer actually when i was at school i wanted to be a pe teacher oh i used to teach that's, that's where we differ i used to <laughs> teach sport at uh the school next door, which was Florence Trelaws, which was a sixth form college right. for um, physically disabled girls, right. 16 to 18. And I used to teach wheelchair netball and wheelchair tennis Amazing. and swimming and things like that. And I wanted to go on to teach PE. But as is often the case, the headmaster just thought I was too clever for that and yeah. I needed to do something slightly more academic and slightly more intellectual. And our school was quite good at all things, debating, public speaking, yeah. drama. Were you always quite good at arguing, Stevie, by any chance? Well, I did win the Youth Speaks competition for debating, which was a rotary thing. Right. And I won the Amazing. All England Latin recitation competition. Did you really? For what, did you, what did you recite? You I'm really want me to do well, this? Well, I've, I've been... It was no, Peter Cicero. It was 
uh, very good. Quae cum ita sint, Don't Catalina. give us the whole thing. Perge quo coepiste, <laughs> e gredere aliquando ex orbe patent portai. No, proficiscere. Okay. <laughs> this is the first, this is an exclusive, this is the first Latin on our podcast. Congratulations, that's very good. Anyway, that sounded but, but that, was, that was enough. Yes, no, thank and, you. That and was lovely. So, um, so I went to do law. Yeah, because uh, you had the Latin. Because I had the Latin and I did the arguments and I went to uh, I went to Cambridge uh, for the Easter vacation uh, which was at the time of the Cambridge rapist for those of us right. old enough mm. to remember uh, and I thought it was really dull and really dusty and you spent all your time in the law library and I thought no I don't want don't to do, do that, that. Uh, and then I discovered uh, the University at Kent which is one of the brand new universities yeah. which had a law clinic which meant that you got to play with real people and real problems. Yeah. And we prosecuted the Vice-Chancellor's wife, which was really exciting. Wow. We got her shut down as a landlady. It made the front page of the Times. Oh, that's amazing. That was amazing. It was that's amazing. amazing. It was amazing, amazing. Um, and which was why I was really honoured when I, um, 30 years after my first degree, I went back to the cathedral to get my... Doctorate. And they've forgiven you. They've just <laughs> that, must been, that must have been so scandalous at the time. Yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was absolutely. They I mean, shut down the law college. And that would the, the oh, law wow. clinic. They shut because down because that clinic. would not have been. That would have not been yeah. friend winning. So I thought, uh, you know, my rumpole so of the Bailey days. Iconoclastic. Yes, yeah. my rumpole of the Bailey days were planned out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. then when I um, when I graduated, my stepfather had just died, and there were all mm. sorts of issues going on. So I took what was meant to be a temporary job uh, in the in-house legal department of uh, a company called James Gulliver Associates. Right. Again, for those of us who remember, Alistair Grant and James Gulliver. And they owned Fine Fair. They were out of food. Okay. Uh, they owned a company called Alpine Holdings, which is Alpine Double Glazing, right. Dreamline Bedroom Furniture and Dolphin Showers. Okay. So all direct marketing yeah, yeah. agencies. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, after a, a very few weeks there, uh, famously now, because I quote it so often, um, the marketing director left. And because I was in, uh, because I was working in the law department, of co- I, I was working on projects. Mm. So um, James Gulliver said to me, well, you can go and do marketing. <laughs> and I said, well, forgive me but I don't know anything about marketing brackets and I'm 21 Mm. Uh, and he looked me straight in the eye and he said marketing is common sense and you're common so you're halfway (laughs) there (laughs) (laughs) and that was it and I got sort of thrown into the deep end and uh, and I sort of loved it because I got to do everything I did you know a really big 60 second blockbuster Leicester Bookbinder film and wow. I did direct response advertising yeah. and I did yeah. proper grounding you know, that oh yeah. it was it was everything that it's possible to do and some so so that's how I sort of fell into it and I stayed there until I until I saw a full page ad in the Guardian mm. with a picture of the famous five um, recruiting for the launch of breakfast television in mm. the UK mm. and then I went to TVAM right and the rest as they say is history, history. That's great. Um, but but actually, sorry, I'm thinking out loud now. Yeah, you on. talking about were you always good at arguing? Yeah. And 
I've actually met a lot of people, certainly in advertising, mm. who started off in law. Mm. And over the years, you sort of think, well, actually, if you can be an advocate for a person, you can be an advocate mm. for a product or service. Mm. And the discipline of taking, you know, sort of a pile of law books, she says helpfully on radio, yeah. pointing out <laughs> a big yeah, pile of yeah. law books. You know, you take a pile of, of information and you try and distill a narrative from it mm. that makes the case either for the prosecution or the defence. Mm. I think that those skills are exactly the same mm. as a lot of the skills you need mm. in influencing mm. in our business. Mm. So I think it's actually quite a good general business degree, yeah. Yeah. but a particularly good degree to have studied for the advocacy that we always Very have good. to do. Yeah, I, and I would mm. agree. Yeah. Mm. Um, after being managing director at WMGO and Young and Rubicam, you were named chief executive of Clear Channel UK. What was the feeling like when you moved into that role? I, I should say I was petrified um, because it was such a different type of job because I, I went from managing, you know, in effect, a small people business, yeah. mm. you know, hundreds of admittedly but only people mm. yeah. because all you've got is people in a building mm. Mm. sort of mm. that's it yeah. to uh, and in the world of common sense marketing as yes. we said yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, and suddenly i was thrown into a world of very large capex budgets with physical infrastructures on the street with all the health and safety issues mm. that come with that suddenly i had an army of men in white vans mm. and the internal comms difference, you know, I always thought I was really good at motivation and internal comms. Yeah. But there is a world of difference between a, being able to have an all-staff meeting and getting, you know, all of the hundreds of people in the same building mm. at the same time mm. and, and all, you know, either graduates or similar. Yeah, your type of people. To, so. well, or yeah, I'm not sure I okay, take you wouldn't the say your that. type. Okay. No, I wouldn't. Okay. But when you have to use language that isn't sort of secondary and tertiary reality you have to get back to basics mm. because you have to make sure that everybody un understands you and they're all in multiple locations yeah. and, and, and so that was quite interesting um was that easy to overcome do you know what i i, I repeat i i sort of didn't know what i didn't know mm. and i started the job grasping the bit of it that i thought i understood which was uh the advertising revenue streams yep. and calling in favours to friends and family yep. in the business mm. so that I could have a couple of quick wins and look like a star. Uh, and then it was a bit like an old-fashioned car heater. I, I went from maybe 80% of my time in sales, marketing, mm. that sort of stuff, to maybe 10% of my time. Mm. Um, and I remember feeling very grown up once. It, it was 9-11. Uh, it was the day of the yeah. uh, Twin Towers. And I had been summoned to a uh, GLA scrutiny committee, Greater London Authority scrutiny committee that morning. I was supposed to be in New York at a meeting at the Twin Towers. And I got wow. somebody else to go. Um, Andrew Barnett, mm -hmm. who went in my stead. Do you know Andrew? No, no. Um, Taxi media. Right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, and it, that was fine. Yeah. 
it was a much longer story but right. um, you know you go to something like the scrutiny committees and it's like it's like going to court and yeah. de- defending yourself yeah. um, it was for the largest outdoor contract in Europe mm. for the London bus shelters you know they were saying it was ultravirus it was you know it, it felt very grown up yeah very grown mm. up so it was a very different type of job um transferable me, skills though or? well i thought it was a great example of transferable yeah. skills because you know we talk about that all the time mm. and you know headhunters and well generally people talk about it but mm. they don't actually believe it okay they think it's a risk if you're taking somebody without direct experience yeah. um but for me it was a wonderful bridge between People management into general business uh, and with the sort of safety net of having a bit of advertising revenue because, you know, Mm. you then get into we bought what became Live Nation and suddenly Mm. I had all these theatres and, you know, I was a music queen and Mm. whatever. So, uh, yeah, I I was incredibly, I'm going to say the word lucky, I'm sure everybody says that, but uh, incredibly lucky to get a proper job in inverted commas, but with a bridge to my safety of experience and knowledge. I mean, we've skirted over, so we've left you at TVAM and, and, and now we're talking about the Clear Channel gig and we sort of skirted over the 16 you, years in the you, middle that was advertising well agencies. you've done a lot of top roles so I mean out of all of them what's been the biggest challenge um and how and how have you overcome that those challenges I think that well you know almost every day is a challenge isn't it yeah. and yeah. If, yeah. if you're yeah. some in, days more than others yeah. if you're interested in you know people and problems and problem solving mm. and you're endlessly curious then you know every day has a challenge i i think the most challenging time has business challenging time has to have been the time after lehman's went down yeah and i was at future which was a public company which means that you're doing everything in the public eye you're one of the very few women yes. running a public company so still the whole of the city still the whole of the city has you under a spotlight yeah. basically waiting for you to fall flat on your face yeah. um yeah. our american business literally you know crashed and burnt almost the day after lehman's the uh, I, I remember it you know as a, as a, as a media owner mm. in the states where you know, you don't have the comfort blanket of very large um, subscription or newsstand revenues. Advertising is a much mm. bigger part. Mm. And the online revenues in the States were going really well. In that September, we had, it was over a million dollars in the month for the month in yep. September. Because you can turn the tap off online instantly. In October, we had zero. Wow. Wow. It literally went to zero. What was that like? It was that instant change. It was like being thrown out of a plane without a parachute. And so the advertising revenues collapsed, then by Christmas the print yeah. deals are all up for of review. Course, yeah. In January 
three of the four wholesalers either went into chapter 11 or closed we had so there was no there was no it was protection absolute chaos and pandemonium Mm. and america was a big part of our business Mm. um so it was yeah that was challenging that was challenging and and well i uh, what do you do what did you well you roll up your sleeves and you think you know I've always been this type of manager that sort of runs alongside when I pass the baton. So if somebody drops yeah. it, you pick it up. Mm. So I spent a lot of time in the States. Um, we had to make a lot of changes to the management team because, frankly, in crisis, you don't want people who are sitting behind a shut door no. in their desk with their head in their hands. You want people yeah. out there. Sophie's just pointing stuff. at my shut door, but <laughs> it's because it's we're doing the podcast. Yes, yeah, it is. Um, and... Uh, Actually, it's interesting that I recruited a new leader for for the States that was almost the exact opposite of the incumbent. I mean, without without making any value judgments, Mm. you know, the previous guy was a Brit who had been exported, Mm. new guy, American through and through, previous guy, self-made, new guy, Princeton, Mm -hmm. summer cum laude, Mm -hmm. brain the size of a planet. Mm physically small predecessor six foot five okay whatever the problems yeah. are yeah. Was that a conscious decision no mm. but looking back on it i think that there was something about the physicality something about the mental prowess that's the a change that, the fact that he spoke five languages yeah, yeah. yeah. um that nothing phased him he mm. got very broad experience mm. uh it was just interesting that yeah when you're looking for you know people to stand beside you in crisis but this is resilience isn't it which is the point about this what doesn't kill you makes you stronger definitely and and certainly you learn more from those crises from the mistakes that you make from the how will i do it differently what would i do differently how would i do it again but i think that was definitely i mean it 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 tanked the future share price Mm. You know, it went into free fall. It w- it was just well, that, yeah. You're as you say, invaluable experience. Yes. Although you wouldn't vote for it. Well, you know, I'm I'm a firm believer that if you're happy with where you are in the here and now, mm. my dad always taught taught us to live in the present. Then everything that you've done before, we were talking sliding doors before. Mm. Everything that's got you to here. You know, if you hadn't have done that, where would you have been? Be thankful yeah. for it. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so I thank, uh, well, I thank God every day yeah. for that's, it because I think that we've yeah. got lots to be thankful for. Yeah. yeah, it was an interesting learning curve. Yeah, Not a lot of sleep through that process. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we move on a little bit, so June 2008, you were the first externally appointed chairman of the UK's largest children grant-making charity. Mummy Pudsey. Mummy yeah. Mummy Pudsey, yeah. Um, how has been involved in a charity organisation differed from other companies? Would you say the work was harder because you know it was for a charity or was it the same pressure that you experienced before? I think that's a good question. I think it's it, it, it's, it's always uh, it's always slightly different when you're working for not-for-profits, certainly when you're not an employee of a mm. not-for-profit. Mm. It's very interesting working with and for the BBC. Which has a very clear culture. Uh, which yeah. has a culture. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, 
because we are separate from but integral to uh, you know there are lots of points of friction so uh, negotiating through that I went in as an agent of change on mm. both grant making mm. uh, I wanted to make a bigger impact it wasn't just about giving away money it was yeah. about leveraging the money it was about making a lot more money which meant doing things other than a telethon so we now mm. do 45 events a year we raise three times the amount of money a year wow. we give money away six times a year not once a year where we leverage it through partnerships we work very differently now and that's been a source of extraordinary pride and pleasure to me yeah i mean yeah. I've, that's I've amazing worked really you. hard yeah. but yeah. uh but equally gosh i've had so much fun I try and do a project a month, which doesn't sound very much, but when you're doing 1,200 projects a year, mm. uh, you know, you can just uh, scratch the surface. So I get to spend time with amazing kids yeah. and amazing people doing mm. amazing things. I get to um, curate. You know, the word inspirational together. is used quite cheaply in our industry, I sometimes think, yeah. but this is very inspirational. Well, I, I think that for people like us, who are the luckiest generation in the world. Mm. You know, we've not been directly affected by war. We had mm. free education mm. and fantastic mm. education, had free health care. Those of us who were lucky enough to get on the housing ladder, mm. um, we've been largely employed. We've been the charmed generation. Mm. And I think it's incumbent on all of us mm. to put back in whichever mm. way. Mm. And but also you get back exactly. Uh, you get uh, at least as much back as as what you put in it. And then even from a from a business perspective, yeah. you know, I, I chaired the Groundwork Federation for nine years yeah. before Children in Need, which works with all of the most disadvantaged communities yeah. in the UK. I wouldn't have got the Clear Channel job without that because but, uh, I had relationships with all of the local authorities. So Clear Channel at the time was basically a property company. So I specialised in property law yeah. at the university, but that was a bloody long time yeah, previously. Yeah. And they had contracts with maybe 80% of the local authorities. So the fact that I knew the local authorities, I knew how Whitehall worked, so, I so knew it how rewards that worked. and it rewards, but also you're describing when you talk about the children in need and the changes you've made there, you're talking about the fact that you're that's something that is important to you in a very deep sense. And I, I think have, finding that yeah, thing that yeah. you you know we we you care about work if you wouldn't go to work at all if you didn't care about work I I get that but finding that thing that takes I, you to I think that people often forget the leg of the stool when you when when we talk about balance blend yeah, life yeah, contentment yeah. happiness fulfillment we talk about work mm. We talk about home, mm. and in home, I always include um, the family that we adopt as we go through yes, life. Yeah. So our, our, our friends, yeah. which are an important yeah. part of our network. Um, we often forget the third leg of the stool, which for me is community and society, yeah. and making an impact and yeah. making a difference. And and we can often make a bigger difference and get more satisfaction more satisfaction from that so if i think mm. back 
from you know my days at Trelaws and working with Fab mm. Mm. at the time, which stood for physically handicapped captain able-bodied. We wouldn't use that term anymore. I've always done not-for-profit mm. work all mm. the way through, mm. and and it's been an important part of my learning curve, my experience, my putting back, my taking out. You know, people say, "Oh, you've given so much." I've taken out much more than I've put in. Of all the roles you've had, which one has changed you most as a person? Can you answer that? I actually can. Yeah. Because uh, I was doing my homework in the bus, which means that I was reading your email on the way here in the Uber. Um, (laughs) And I was going to give you an answer that says, I don't think I have changed. I think that what you see is what you get. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that I'm pretty much the same today as I was in my 20s but actually the role specifically the board role which changed me the most yeah and coming back to a sense of community and social conscience was I joined my first board at the age of seven so my the 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 role that changed me the most was treasurer on our family board because I was the product of a single parent in the 50s and 60s Mm. who was a man my dad Mm. which was very unusual then and we had lots of time because he downgraded his job and no money Uh, but we had free rail he worked for the railways we had free rail travel so we were rich as Croesus because we could go to everything anywhere in the country you know we'd get on a train on a Saturday go out to Liverpool look at a piece of sculpture come back with library books and sandwiches so we were much richer than Mm financially rich people but I remember clearly my elder sister who's 18 months older than me um, saying she wanted a bicycle Mm. she must have been eight Mm. and I was seven and my dad sat us down and said okay so if we buy a bicycle for Sandy this is how much money we get each week and this Mm. is how much our rent is and this is how blah 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 Mm. and this is how much money we get left for holidays and clothes and Mm. things like bicycles so if we buy a bicycle we can't have a holiday and we can't do this and we can't do that is that what we want to do Mm. no we don't Mm. we want to go to butlins Mm. so that turned into well first of all it was monthly uh, and then it became weekly board meetings we'd sit down every week and talk about what we were going to how we were going to invest our resources yeah yeah you know obviously it wasn't put like that yeah and uh, and I was the treasurer. My sister was the uh, secretary. The dog was the committee, and my dad was the chairman. And it taught me the power of the minutes because he wrote the minutes. <laughs> so we go through the minutes each each week from the. That's just brilliant and very and so unusual. And yeah. the amazing. bit that I think made the biggest difference was about after about a year, he would add a discussion topic to the end of each agenda. Mm. And I mean things like. The NHS, CND, okay. I mean, big, yeah. hairy topics for little girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Yanakus, which was a family that lived opposite, who <laughs> had 11 kids in a one-bedroom flat. Yeah. Um, you know, big, big, big social issues. And we would talk about them for about, only for about 20 minutes mm. at the end of each agenda. But it changes you, I think, for the better. And I don't think kids are ever too young to, to think be, about to their place seriously. in their world yeah. and to be treated seriously. Yeah, I love that. 
What yeah. a great answer. Yeah. That's a, I've not heard a story like that before. That's so brilliant. That's, so that's the board position that that's changed very, my life. That's, that's an And when people answer. say to me, how old were you when you s- served on your first board? The answer seven, is seven. seven. So I've had lots of board that's experience. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, what advice would you regular, give? Regular, regular questions. Regular questions. Regular, oh yeah, regular, regular questions. questions. Oh, regular, 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 regular questions. Regular, oh so those were questions for you. Now we now we get to the set of questions that we ask the same questions to everybody. This is like so Desert Island Discs. Now, this is the it? Desert Island Discs. Yeah. So the first one from this section is: What advice would you give to someone just starting their career in our business? Oh, well, my niece is now in the business. She's carried on the baton, so she's at uh, Abbot Mead. Uh, doing really well, Bobby Gannon. Shout out to Shout Bobby. Shout out to Bobby. Shout out to Bobby. She's doing brilliantly and she loves the business. And But when I talk to her about the business, mm. um, the things that she's doing and the expectations of her are very different, I think, from when I first joined the business. Mm. So my advice, uh, and my advice is, is normally the same to most young people, setting out on a career where they don't actually know where they want to end up and that is breadth get the most experience you can Mm. as quickly as you can and the way to do that is to be very very uh, aware of the difference for example of the difference between I've got five years experience good tick and I've got one year's experience repeated five times Mm. (laughs) Because your learning curve flattens the Mm. second and third and fourth and fifth Mm. time you do something. So I think that, you know, when you're starting out, the answer is yes, what's the question? May I do a pitch? May I do Mm. a new account? May I try something Mm. else? Can I do an internship? Mm. Uh, Can I do a job swap with a client? Anything Mm. that just gives you that really steep Mm. doing something new, curiosity, learning curve. Brilliant. And the other piece of advice, I'm looking at Jack, but I should be looking at you, is the, is the piece of advice that I should give, that I always give, which is to women in the business, because it gets very tense and very difficult at times. And when men are frustrated, uh, they bang the table and they scream and shout and they get all testosterone fueled. And when women get angry and frustrated, our throats constrict and our eyes water, mm. and then we think we're gonna cry. Mm. And although I'm all for being able to cry at work for appropriate emotions, anger and frustration isn't one of them because it means you're out of control and Mm. you can't participate in the debate and the conversation. So I was told this by a doctor friend decades ago that it's caused by your throat constricting. So if you pucker up and blow like a whistle, (whistles) your throat opens your tear ducts open top tip everyone and you stop crying doesn't work when your dog died because you're not frustrated and angry you're upset but when you get into the loop of i'm angry i'm frustrated i actually want to bloody kill you Mm. but i but that's not the way i react as a woman so you get frustrated and your eyes well up and then you think oh shit i'm gonna yeah yeah, it makes you angry i'm out of control it makes you angrier still your throat constricts more so you don't even have to whistle. You just pucker up and blow silently. Put your hand maybe over your mouth. Well, I do it on the phone still. Do, yeah. You know, I cover up the phone. And go, yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
so that's my, Very good. That's top, my tip. top tip that's but brilliant. it's only for women it doesn't happen for men because you so i'm sorry jack that was that's all right sexist. i won't take it personally that was <laughs> sexist one in the middle um my favorite question if you were a genie um, and I wanted to summon you, which I think I have wanted to on occasion, Stevie. I'm what, easy to what, summon. What five commonly available objects would I put in my magic circle to um, get you to appear, please? Yes. So, again, I the easy ones are... Okay, go on. So, a pair of running shoes. Okay, any particular brand? No. Don't care. A pair of running shoes, but with profi insoles. Okay. So, because that grounds me and it's a really important part of my meditation. Mm-hmm. A bottle of really nice champagne, because that's all I drink, having any, not drunk for five years. Any particular brand? No, I am promiscuous. Just as long as it's good, good champagne. Yeah. Yep. Uh, my phone, mm-hmm. because I'm stuck to it like a limpet. Yep. But I would also need headphones to go in it, because... I've always got my headphones with me because I listen to plays and I listen to Spotify. I think that's like that. a fourth object. Oh, I can't okay. allow, that, allow that as well. Okay. Yeah, that's fourth one. Uh, that's four. And and a really nice little jar of caviar. <laughs> <laughs> but if we can't afford caviar and that doesn't count as an everyday object, um, dry roasted peanuts. <laughs> I okay. prefer caviar. I think we can stretch to caviar. Okay. I think for you. I'll have caviar, please. <laughs> Brilliant. And if you put that in a circle, you will, we will appear. There. Good, good, I'm there. Excellent. Um, after living things, what are the three things you would say from your house in a fire? That's the hardest question, isn't it? Mm. So my phone, because okay. it's our computer, right. and so I'm going because I've got four iPads and the computer and then this and that. But if I can, you know, I don't want all electricals. So my phone, which will be on a charger, so I take it off the charger yeah. and take that. My handbag, <laughs> okay, because that's got all my yeah, bits yeah, in it, yeah, and my yeah, makeup yeah, bag, and yeah. my passport, yeah, okay. and credit card. Snug, so the smuggled handbag, some things in there, your handbag, yeah. So the handbag has everything in it. And then the thing that might be surprising, I have a bag which has every diary I've ever written since I was about 14 and I've written every day since I was 14. And there's a couple missing where my handbag got stolen mm. with the diary in it. But those are... That's invaluable. How lovely. Invaluable. Oh. I bet so nobody can ever argue with me because I can always look something up. But I bet also that a few extracts from that for a, for a charity a event. That would yeah. be a good teenage diary. Stevie's teenage diary. Yeah, yeah. they're... Um, actually, the, I'll tell you one very funny story because... Yeah. In the, I must have been about, I'd like to say I was 16, 17, yeah. but I was probably 15, 16. I, I was completely besotted with this guy called Robert. And we used to sort of stay in and listen to records and, mm. you know, smooch a bit. But mm. And I used to put in my diary, you know, if, if I'd done that in the email, I put S-I with R stayed in with records yeah and somebody parental read my diary and assumed it meant sexual intercourse with Robert so scandal (laughs) (laughs) it didn't no it didn't but also 
moral sh- high ground shouldn't have read my private diary and, and also if you're out there Robert shout out to Robert whatever <laughs> happened to Robert shout out to Eagleby <laughs> <laughs> um, okay um, what's your do fa- they have five objects Three. Three. three, no, things. no, you've, you've done, you've three? had three, you've had three. My bag of diaries. Yes, your bag of diaries, my your home and, my phone. and your phone. Yes, yeah. I yeah. my phone. Yep. Sorry, um, I can't count. <laughs> right, um, a favourite book. That could be a, your favourite book ever or a book that you give away to people if you're not a book reader, if you do My favourite book ever, and this is a sign of the old romantic that I am, is still Pride and Prejudice. Oh, is it? Lovely. Which I must have read. 20 times. I still go back to it occasionally under stress. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It takes you away to a different yeah. world. And it's very funny. And it's very funny and it's very I like lo- it. Yes. Yeah, very good. So I, I used to be an absolutely voracious reader. Yeah. And now I find it the only time that I read leisure books is on vacation. Mm. You know, I have a pile of books next to my bed and a pile of books around the house. And, and the last book I read was yeah. yours. Ah, The Glass Wall. Very go. good. Nice book. Which is next to my chaise long upstairs. Brilliant. And it's an easy read. It is. It's very dip and dip out. Yeah, it's an easy Thank read. You. It's a very good read. Shout out to The Glass Wall. <laughs> if you had to choose one person to play you in a film about your life, who would that be? So Hollywood's calling, Steve. Yes, well, the, 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 the correct answer, <laughs> if you go through campaigns of the 80s, is Ruby Wax. Because oh. uh, when I worked with uh, Jim Kelly, he once described me as the Ruby Wax of advertising, just meaning that I had a big grin and, okay. you know, told a lot of jokes. Uh, that was obviously before I turned into a serious icon of, you know, captain of industry. Yeah. She said, yeah. tongue in cheek. <laughs> Um, and uh, I've met Ruby Wax now on loads of occasions yeah. for various things, yeah. and uh, and I, I I did actually tell her this, and she sort of looked at me and obviously thought, no, I don't think so. <laughs> 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 um, but I think if Hollywood's finest were available, mm. I think that I would like it to be somebody that I'd love to spend a lot of time with. Mm regardless of their portrayal of mm. me, if they were a good actress. Um, so I would like it either to be Jodie Foster, mm-hmm. who I think would just be great to hang out with and mm. talk yeah. to and mm. change the world with. Yes. Yeah. Or Susan Sarandon. Yeah. yeah. Who I love. I love Susan Sarandon. And I Sarandon. love what she does and I love yeah. that she doesn't give a damn. And but I she's, she I think I'm casting her, so I'm not, sh- so you might have to go with Jodie. But I, but I, but Susan Sarandon, I'd love yeah. to spend a load yeah. of time with, yeah, and absolutely, and just you know chew the flat fat and mm. have a beer with, and yeah. put the world to rights. I think that would be brilliant fun. Now this question's slightly odd, given um, some of your previous jobs, but I'm going to give you a billboard, which obviously Yay! you have, in, you have had, you've had a whole army of billboards. Well, I'm going to give you hundreds of thousands of the bastards. Want to buy a billboard? Right. Yes. But I'm now giving you one. You can put it anywhere you like. Where would you put it, and what would it say? This is a really, really hard question okay. because old romantic that I am, I sort of think that I would like you know, to do something special like a singing billboard where, yeah. you know, when you walk past it, sang something and I put it outside my partner's office and Aww. it would sing, you know, Shania Twain, you're still the one. Um, 
Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely, isn't it? It, it is, except she would be horrified <laughs> and hate it uh, with every fibre of her being and yeah. would okay. kill me. So I couldn't do that. Mm. So I would either... I'd either like a, I've forgotten what they're called, the travelling billboards yeah. on a van. Yeah. And I would travel it around the country at the moment. And I would park it up outside every bloody further education or higher education establishment. And it would just say, vote. This is pre Pre-election. Sorry, yeah. this, yeah, this is being recorded before June the 8th. And because, because I just think that, yeah. you know, young people... They're not disengaged with politics. No, they're disengaged with our political system. And yet, democracy was so hard fought and so easily lost, and countries that don't have it. I just think that and women died to get should to embrace it. And I hate to hear people say, "Oh, it doesn't make any difference. I'm not going to vote." And I, particularly because I, I I serve on a university board yeah. and. And I hate the no platforming and I hate that it's not worth voting and I hate, hate, hate. So I would do that. Or because I am just about, I'm recruiting at the moment, all candidates gratefully received. (laughs) uh, I'm about to stand down as chairman of uh, Children in Need after nine and a bit years. And I would quite like to take a billboard outside of the BBC just saying thank you for having me. Very nice. Both brilliant answers, aren't they? Very brilliant answers. Right, our um, random question that no one can prepare for. Oh, yummy! We have um, cards from the School of Life that just ask a series of random questions. We've just grabbed a I've handful. Got to choose one. Choose one, read it out, and um, answer it, please. Uh, we don't know what it Does says. Does not quite knowing what you might be doing in 10 years' time fill you with trepidation or excitement? Absolutely excitement. Hmm. One of the things that I adore about my work life at the moment Mm. and I do adore it Um, you know we had trouble describing what I do because I've got eight different jobs I work full time because my partner works full time but I work flexible Mm. bloody love it get to poke my nose into lots of different things I've got one of everything I don't know what I'm going to be doing in 10 years time but I know that it will be different and new and exciting and as I approach my bus pass birthday yeah. next month, I think that what keeps us engaged and involved and energised is curiosity. Yeah. And so the prospect of not knowing what I'll be doing in 10 years' time just fills me with excitement. So I'll tick the excitement box. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Stevie. That Thank was you, Stevie. wonderful. Wonderful, wasn't it, Jack? Brilliant. Great wonderful. To to you. Wonderful. Thank you for Story. having Thank me. As as ever, oh, um, as ever, we want you to sign it actually. That's why I'm uh, please sign it for us. We'll get everyone to sign our cards. We may oh. auction them at some point. Um, but so we can't use them again. As ever, if anyone's got any comments, it's um at Sue you and what's your Twitter? I'm at Latchford J. And uh, let and us I'm know at Stevie Spring One. Thank you so much for being our podcast guest today. Thank you for having me. Lovely.